Well, good morning. It is uh, good to be back with you after having been away for a few weeks. And uh, so at the, towards the end of the summer every year, Chelsea and I, we have a retreat together, and then we have our uh, coming off that family vacation. And uh, part of what we do every summer is we go back and visit my family in Iowa, and uh, that is a fun time. We spend a lot of time camping and doing all kinds of things, and uh, a, lo- a lot of fun. I am always looking for the best flight getting out there. I don't like layovers. I don't like getting in late. I just, and, and this year I thought I had the perfect one. Leave uh, kind of mid-morning, get in early afternoon. And so Linda Tanaka was our chauffeur to the, to the airport. We were arrived at LAX. Everything was going fine. And I uh, pull up to that self-check-in booth. You know, you slide in your credit card and it spits out your plane tickets. Well, it wouldn't give me my, uh, my four plane tickets. So I try the driver's license. Everybody else is getting their tickets. Surely I would be smart enough to figure out this self-check-in thing. Couldn't figure it out. I finally throw up my hands, whatever, go to the booth. I need some human interaction here. uh, What's wrong? Why can't I get my tickets? And the person behind the counter says, Oh, I see you missed your flight. I said, No, I didn't. My flight doesn't leave for an hour and a half. No, no, your flight left an hour ago. Get out my phone, I email, uh, do a search. Look, here's my itinerary. My flight leaves at 9.30. No, your flight left at 7 this morning. And so we're going back and forth. The emotions are rising up in my heart. I don't do well with these type of things. I don't like interruptions in my schedule. This is not my cup of tea. But sure enough... They had switched my flight to an er my flight got canceled. They had switched my flight to an earlier flight. And uh, I had no idea. And so we get scheduled. Instead of getting in at 2 in the afternoon, we get in at 12.30 a.m., 10 hours late. But we got there. And so all is well and good, right? I share that story because uh, if you are like me, you might not be a fan of surprises. And you get these uh, emotions that well up with us. It's a story and it's a confession, right? And, and it points us to our passage this morning. Because Paul in 1 Thessalonians is writing to, the church, to this early church in Thessalonica because they are afraid that they might be surprised. That the Lord is going to come again and they will not be ready. In fact, there must have been rumors spreading around that the Lord had already come because Paul is giving a lot of time and attention to it. And they have these questions that are causing fear to rise up within their own hearts. Have they missed the Lord's return? Could they be caught in judgment when He does come back again? And how will they be made ready for the Lord when He does come? These are important questions, but I have to, as I was preparing this message, I began to think, are these questions that are on our radar screen? In fact, I've done a lot of pastoral counseling. I don't know if I've ever had anyone come asking these type of questions, but maybe it's simply because we are ignorant 
And we should, and yet we don't have an understanding of the Lord coming back again. But we ought to, and we ought to prepare our hearts. So I want us to think about the Lord's return, the second coming of Christ, but not only to uh, ask the question of are we ready, that is an important question that we will ask, but also in our readiness, how does it affect our lives here and now, today? Not only on the day when He comes back again, but on this day, this Sunday in August 2019. These are important questions for us to ask. If we go back to uh, 1 Thessalonians, as I've said, 1 Thessalonians is actually one of the places in the Bible that speaks in quite length about Christ's second coming. And oftentimes we have a lot of confusion. At the end of chapter 4, the last message I preached before I went away, we looked at a framework for understanding the end times. And we talked about, if we go back to uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, it goes back and it talks about the creation of the world. This is where it all starts that Adam and Eve are created in the Garden of Eden, and it is a perfect place of paradise. Without sin, they enjoy fellowship with one another and fellowship with God. This is the way that we were created to live, but we only have to take one small step this direction, and we see that, they, uh, that when they sinned, the world was made, the world was set ajar, and it was not the way that God intended it to be. In the fall, uh, things got skewed. And yet God is faithful. We continue on through, and we look at the Old Testament of how God gives them wisdom and direction and instruction. And then there is the coming of Christ, this magnificent in history when Christ comes as God's perfect son to live a sinless life and die on the cross and to be raised from the dead. It is the moment of salvation in which we, uh, in which we experience the, for our forgiveness of sins. And yet we recognize that if we are somewhere in between here and we'll let this represent Christ's second coming, that we have not gone back to here. That somehow we are still affected by the sin in the world. And that is why we look forward to this date when Christ comes back again and 1 Thessalonians 4 describes how he will come on the clouds and those that recognize him and love him will be caught up with him in the air and we t- and not only those that are on the earth at the, at the, at that moment but even the dead will rise it is a for it is a looking back to Jesus' resurrection and the spirits of those that are in heaven will be joined with their physical bodies that have come up from the from the ground and there is a united of the spirit and body not only individually but all of heaven and earth and revelation speaks of it as a new heavens and a new earth that are joined together and so that God's creation is brought back to right. The way it was supposed to be way back there is now brought to culmination. But more than that, far better than the Garden of Eden. A hundred times better. Sin and uh, death and pain and suffering are all dealt with once and for all. And God's salvation comes in its fullest form. And we look forward to that on the last day. And as Jesus comes, those that recognize Him as King and love Him as their Savior, 
uh, are caught up with him in the sky not to escape this earth, but to accompany him back to this earth. Just as Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey as a king coming back to victory, now it is no longer on a donkey. Now it is on a white stallion. Jesus comes in all of his glory, and he comes to set up his throne. And on that day of salvation, there is a judgment. That judgment and salvation are like two sides to the same coin. To those who recognize Jesus coming in the clouds and shrink back from Him, not wanting to meet Him in the air, it is a day of judgment. To those of us who have received Him and love Him, we catch up and it is a day of salvation. But the same day. And I wonder if these are the thoughts that are running through the uh, readers of this letter in the first century, this letter that we call First Thessalonians, because they wonder if uh, they have fear. Will I be on this, on this side of the coin or this side of the coin? Will I face God's judgment or His salvation? And it is good for us to think about these things and to wrestle with them in our own hearts, to ask ourselves, are we ready? And so let me ask you that question today. If today were to be the day of the Lord and Jesus were to appear on the, uh, on the clouds, would you be ready? Would you shrink back in fear or would you rejoice in that day? It is a very important question, not only for that day, but for how we live today as well. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11 are the verses that we are going to look at today. And it is instructions along these lines. Instructions for getting ready. Getting ready for the end time. Let's read these verses together. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and the dates, we do not need to write you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or, uh, or to the darkness so then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to, us, to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. May God give us uh, wisdom and application from His Word. As we see here uh, in this passage, it's already been established. That it's, it's coming right off of chapter 4. It's already been established that Jesus is coming back again. And so now the question is, are you ready? Four points I want to make 
about this. First of all, the first point about getting ready is to recognize that Jesus' return will come as a surprise. Many have tried to predict when Jesus will come back again. It's been done over and over again in the last 2,000 years. It's going to be this day. It's going to be this year. And every time they have been frustrated and embarrassed. We cannot predict it. We will not know. In fact, this passage says it will come like a thief in the night. You don't know when a thief is going to come, right? If you knew, you'd prepare yourself. I can imagine if you knew when the thief was going to come to rob your house. At least I would. I'd pull up a chair right in front of that door and baseball bat in hand, 911 already typed in, ready to hit send. Or I'd call, I got a friend who's a cop. I'd have him joining me that day. And we'd just be waiting there. That's the problem with thieves. They don't let you know when they're coming. Julie O'Curra, let me raise your hand, Julie. Julie uh, was on the, going out to run errands the other day got partway down the street and realized she had forgot something very important. I don't know. What would you forget, Julie? Your wallet. That is important if you're running errands. You eat the van around, pulled up in the driveway to run inside, and her daughter is just to the age that she's learning how to stick the key in the doorknob to open the door. And she says, Mommy, Mommy, let me open the door. Okay, go ahead, open the door. And she's fuddling, uh, fumbling around with it and jiggling it around and finally gets it opened just in time to see the back of a man running out of the living room. And uh, Julie said, I'm so thankful that my daughter was opening the door because if I would have done it, it would have been much more quicker. I would have done it much more quickly and then we would have been face to face and you never know what's going to happen. That's the trouble with robbers. You don't know when they are coming. In fact, Jesus makes this exact point. He says, about the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Jesus himself says he doesn't even know when he's coming back. And then going on in the same passage in Matthew 24, he uses this analogy. Surely Paul is copying, copying Jesus. He talks about the thief. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. You see, this is the truth of Christ's coming. We must be ready because it will come without warning. And then we also, Paul uses a second analogy to drive home the point that it is inescapable. He uses the analogy of a pregnant woman in labor. It says, suddenly, in verse 3, as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. So Jesus is coming back and there is no escape. A a woman who is pregnant, whether that is coming a ways off or or soon, she will eventually give birth. Now I think uh, that there is some parallels here with Jesus' coming because surely giving birth is one of the most highly emotional activities on the face of the planet, is it not? It comes with pain and agony and it's hard and it's difficult, but there is something, there is a tremendous joy to hold a baby boy or a baby girl in our arms. And when Jesus comes, there is destruction as this passage teaches us. 
one side of the coin is judgment. It comes with pain. And, and the Bible says that those that are cast out from his midst on that judgment day will experience weeping and gnashing of teeth for all eternity. And, and yet at the same time, it is a day of rejoicing for those of us who are saved. And so the parallels are clear to the woman in birth. Now, I remember when our kids were born, and uh, I considered my job as the father to be very important, as if I'm really doing anything, right? <laughs> but here's my jobs. So I had three of them, I thought, of my, uh, as I thought about being in that delivery room. First was, don't say anything really stupid that's going to get uh, Chelsea ticked off. Because the emotions are high. That's an easy job to do. That's an easy thing to do uh, to tick off your wife when she's in labor. And so I, I did my best. The second thing is what I learned in the Lamaze class. One, two, three, breathe. One, two, three, push. As if I'm really helping anything. But this is my job. And then my third job is to pray. And that one comes really easy. Because you just spontaneously, God, just help this baby to be born. May, may he or she be healthy. Help mommy to be healthy and, and uh, give her strength and all of these things. And these are very similar to the jobs that we have. And you think about the husband in the delivery room. As I said, it's like I'm really doing anything. When it comes to Christ's salvation, Christ does all the work. He's the one that uh, goes to the cross and is raised from the dead. But somehow in his plan, we are actually included in this. That is the good news. Of, that is the application that we have. That somehow these difficulties that we are experiencing in our life, because we are in a broken, hard, difficult world. Revelation is very clear about this. The book of, on the end times, that the suffering is somehow being used to bring about his kingdom. That we are partnering with Christ in this. And the main thing that we have to do is work alongside of, with him and try not to do anything too stupid. In other words, just live according to God's law, His commandments, to have the wisdom of God, and to pray a lot, and to pray a lot. The prayer that has been offered by the church throughout the centuries has been a one-word prayer, Maranatha. Now, we don't pray that prayer too often in our church today, but maybe we ought to, too. It's a Greek word that literally means come Lord Jesus. And if we are saved, the greatest day that will ever be in the history of the world will be the day when Jesus comes on the cloud and we meet him in the air, uh, accompanying him as a king back to this earth to, make, to set all things right. No matter what we are going through right now, it will be put to rights on that last day. And so our prayer is, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. What a glorious day that will be, as the song says. So this is, this is the first point, that the day of the Lord will come as a surprise. And the second point is uh, related to getting ready. Uh, comes to our attention in verses 4 through 7. And in verses 4 through 7, Paul is making a distinction between those that he says are in the darkness 
and those that are in the light. Now it says those that are in the darkness are night people. And those that are in the light are day people. Are you a day person or a night person? Now, some of us like to do our best work late at night. My wife is a, what we call a, um, a, a night owl. I'm the early bird. I do my best work in the day. But spiritually speaking, we all want to be day people. Because those that are in the night are those that are apart from Christ. Night people are unbelievers, those that have not received Jesus as their Savior and Lord. But day people are those that are safe in Christ. And that's the point I want to make here, a second point. If you are in Christ, you are safe. You are safe. You will not face God's judgment. But that God will only look upon you with love. You are a day person. This is who you are. You are beloved of His. You are cherished by Him. Nothing that you could ever say, do, or think could ever take away one sliver of God's love for you. And that ought to rest in our hearts with such peace and assurance because that is the good news that we are a child of God. In fact, as we go on in this passage, we recognize that Paul refers to night people as they, and he refers to day people as brothers and sisters. In other words, we are children of of God. We are children of the King. Paul is simply rewording Jesus' teaching about Jesus. It says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And later in John, it says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never enter into, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is for day people. Now, to those who are in the darkness, they face uh, God's judgment. Amos, the Old Testament prophet, was speaking to those that were rejecting God as their as their Lord, and they were, uh, p- their lives were pointed in the direction of judgment. And he says, Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear, as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light? pitch dark without a ray of brightness. And so we see that those that are in the dark are doomed. It is a day of destruction that they will face judgment. And they might not even know it. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 3, 5, 3, it says, they say to themselves, peace and safety when all of a sudden the Lord will come and they will stand before the judgment seat. Three descriptors are given to these uh, to de- tonight people. The first is that they are in darkness that they are in mental and moral darkness. They do not know the, light, the truth of God. And they cannot do what is right in God's eyes. They are simply in darkness, ignorant and evil. The second descriptor that is given to them is that they are asleep. Spiritually speaking, they are asleep. When you lay down at night to go to sleep, you're not aware of what's going on around you, right? You're dead to the world, as they say. Uh, And you're not aware of your surroundings. Spiritually speaking, night people are not aware of God around them. 
They're not aware of God's love that is all around us all the time. They have not received the good news of Jesus. Then the third descriptor that Paul uses here is he says that they are spiritually drunk. A person that is drunk does not make good choices. There's a reason we don't let them drive a car. Uh, they're going to they're gonna make terrible choices. And night people do not make good choices because they are not aware of the truth of God's love. They, are not, they do not have the law and the commandments. They don't have God's instructions that help them to be, in, uh, to be headed in the right direction. But those of us who know Jesus as our Savior and Lord are not night people. You are a day person. And so I just want to emphasize this again because I feel like this is the application for so many of us today. If you are a day person, you are a child of God. Do you hear that this morning? Do you recognize how loved you are of God that nothing could ever rob you of one sliver of God's love? Nothing you could ever say, do, or think? Even God's discipline and punishment upon you is, is there because He loves you? that we are cherished by Him, that we are accepted by Him, that we have spiritual dignity and honor, not because of what we have done, but because of Christ's righteousness imputed upon us. And so we are children of the King. And Christ's second coming reminds us that even the difficulties that we have today are pointing forward to the uh, glories that will be had on that last day. In Romans 8, it says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That's looking forward to that last day, that the sufferings of this present time will pale in comparison of what is coming. So those are the first two points. The third point is this. If we are day people, we are safe and how ought we live? As day people, we must stay alert. In other words, live as who you are. If you're a day person, walk in the light. If you're a day person, walk in the truth of God. Verse 8, since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Not drunk, but sober. In other words, staying alert, putting on our feet, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and hope as salvation the hope of salvation as a helmet. There's faith, hope, and love, the, the fruit of the Spirit, that we put these things on. <clears throat> For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. So in other words, if we are a day people, live in the light. Live uh, as day people. Live as God wants, God has uh, changed us to be. How many of you have a security system? A lot of you do. A lot of times security systems are advertised as the security system that will never sleep. In other words, stay alert. Now Jesus has said never to sleep. And, uh, and He is the one that keeps us safe. And, at, and if we are in Him, we ought to continue to be alert, to be sober, always ready to live for Him. So when I was with this uh, person, this lady in the airport who is trying to 
tell me that my flight has already taken off. Believe me, uh, as a gay person, there was a little bit of darkness that was rising up in my heart. And uh, Dawson's standing on the baggage way, uh, you're try, trying to figure out how much he weighs when he's supposed to be wearing the suitcase. My attention's on this woman. Chelsea's chasing Kinsey around. She's excited to be on vacation, so she's got her teddy bear and her little stroller and running all over the place, and the emotions are getting higher and higher. How is it that if God's love is ultimately for my good all the time, I could miss my flight? Now, that's a silly illustration, I know, because we could give a lot more uh, uh, significant things, but let's just use it as an example for a moment. Even things like flights can ultimately be used for uh, my good. It can teach me patience. It can give me an opportunity to model for my, uh, my children Christ-likeness and kindness. It can remind me, and this is probably the best gift, it can remind me that apart from Him, I, I can do nothing. And that's the greatest truth that can settle in my own heart and mind. And so how can canceled flights be used, uh, for, be ultimately for my good? Well, it's for my character formation. And how can broken marriages, and how can lost jobs, and how can children that are being bullied at school, and how can children that have, been, that have strayed from the Lord, and how can all of these things be used ultimately for our good? Those are difficult questions to answer. But if we are day people, we rest in the truth that God loves us and that nothing can separate us from the light of God. As day people, we are told to let our light shine to others. Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's the idea that leads us to this final point, the, the point of stimulating others with the love of Christ, with the light of Christ. And I see this in verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Stimulate others so that they might be able to come to the light, that that last day would be a day of salvation and not a day of judgment. I was talking to someone. Let me just uh, share uh, one story and two quick applications, and then we'll be done. I was talking with someone a couple, a few months ago, and I mean just the most difficult circumstances you can imagine. And uh, such a personal loss and such disappointment. And uh, it's hard for me to know what to say in the moment, but uh, I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm just praying and uh, I just want to be an encouragement, but for some reason I had this, this urge to just encourage her you know, in this time, put your hope in Christ. And I felt compelled to say, you know, don't go back and just pour yourself out into your 
work as a way to, to uh, forget the, the things that are difficult in your life. And, and don't turn to alcohol and don't turn to online shopping. And those are the things that came to my mind. And as I shared that, she said, that's exactly what I needed to hear because that's exactly what I would have done. You see, this, this passage encourages us it tells us to encourage one another and build each other up in the light of His second coming. All of these other things will pass away. That's what Jesus' return teaches us. That these other things are temporary and they will not satisfy on the last day and they will not actually satisfy on this day either. But to put our hope in Christ because He is the one that can build us up. See, we are children of God and He loves us and He calls us look to those other things, but to look to Him alone. And so this is what we need to be about the business of doing. You and I are brothers and sisters. And so we encourage one another if we are day people. In a couple of weeks, we're going to, actually next week, we're going to have all our growth group leaders right up front. And we're going to encourage everyone to be in a growth group. It's this opportunity to build relationships to encourage and build one another up. We've got this orange circle, strong Christian friends, because we realize that we need one another to encourage one another and to support one another, hold each other accountable. And as parents, I believe that this goes right into our calling for how we think of our kids as well. One of the things that I wrestled with over my, uh, during my time of retreat is how am I doing as a dad? That's a hard question. This past week, both of our kids are now in school. Praise the Lord. Uh, as of Wednesday, they are taken care of by someone else for a few hours a day. And, uh, but we spend so much time getting them ready to go back to school. How much time are we getting them ready to receive Christ back into their lives when he comes again? He's putting the uh, same amount of effort. If you are a parent, your number one job is to help your kids form an identity in Christ. To help, to help your kids to see themselves as a child of God. To, know, to help them to see themselves as a day person. All of our kids are going to form an identity somewhere. And how their identities are being formed right now will influence them the rest of their lives. They'll find their identity among peers or in school or among sports or, or even as our children. They're going to find their identity somewhere. It's part of what is being uh, created as a person in the image of God. They're going to have their identity. The best identity that they can have is to see themselves as a son or a daughter of the king of Jesus. And if they do, that is a firm foundation. Then when Jesus comes in the clouds, they will rejoice as well because they will be made ready knowing that they are a part of this family. That is the most important thing we can do to stimulate our kids with the light of Christ. So at the end of our vacation, we're getting, we're getting ready to fly back to L.A., and uh, believe it or not, our flight was also canceled on the way home. And uh, not only on the way out, but 
But this time, we had called them up ahead of time and said, hey, does my flight still leave at this time? And uh, they said, no, your flight now leaves at this time. And again, it was earlier. We would have missed it again. Uh, But this time we were ready. My hope is that all of us will know that when Jesus comes again, we are safe if we are found in Christ. That we are safe on that day. We're safe today, and our prayer is, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And in the meantime, until that day comes, may we stay alert, may we stay al- uh, alive and be sober and live for Christ, and also to stimulate others so that his, that day will be a day of rejoicing for us and for our families and for all of those that we know and love. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for today, and I thank you for this opportunity to dig into your word. And I pray that as we continue just to find our lives in you, I pray that you would stir within our hearts that we might be able to live for you. And uh, God, help us to live ready for that last day, to look forward to it and rejoicing. All of history is pointing in that direction. And so help us to swim with the current, with your spirit and not against it. Because against it is a life of frustration. But may we ground ourselves in who we are in Christ and live according to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.